Thanks, Curtis. It's great to have a song like that come before I come up to share. Um, if you're visiting with us this morning, we welcome you here. I feel like I'm visiting. Um, this is my home church. If you're visiting with us, and I don't get to get here very often just because I travel for a living. And um, my job is I'm a regional director for a small group of churches called the Associated Gospel Churches, but this is my home church. And um, my wife is much more faithful than I am, and she's here all the time, and I just get to be here occasionally as my job allows. And so uh, uh, Pastor Phil, from time to time, asks me when I'm available uh, to be able to speak, and that is my opportunity to serve uh, here at Willow. And so uh, when he was going to be on vacation, he gave me a few dates, and this date particularly worked for me and him. And so uh, this is my opportunity to serve Willow Park Church here this morning. Um, last weekend, uh, I was flying into Calgary on Saturday. Anybody happen to remember what was going on last weekend in Calgary? Uh-huh. I see you keep up with the news. So fortunately for me, on Friday, my daughter, who lives in Calgary, texted me and she said, Dad, bring your winter coat, toque, and mitts. And so I was all packed and ready for the occasion uh, to arrive in Calgary, and I needed all of those things as I picked up my rental car and then um, was uh, staying in a hotel Saturday. Then Sunday, I had the privilege of speaking in one of my Filipino churches in Calgary. And um, the great thing about that was uh, I had met with a pastor a number of weeks before that, and um, he said to me, Pastor Russ, do you mind if I tell you what to speak on? And, and that isn't unusual because, uh, you know, my pastors could be in a series that they asked me to just pick up, as Pastor Phil asked me to do here, to pick up in Galatians. And I said, no, uh, Pastor Gerard, what would you like me to speak on? And interesting, tying into this series, he said, I want you to speak the gospel. And I said, oh, sure, I'd be glad to speak the gospel. Why, Pastor Gerard, do you want me to speak the gospel? And this, like I said, a Filipino church and he said, well, he says, many of our people who come from the Philippines are very religious because our country is religious. But as they immigrate here, he said they come from a religious background, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they know Jesus as their savior. And he says, so what I'm going to do is, he says, I'm going to let them know, and this was his wording, that we have a big wig coming. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate your laughter. He says, but I'm going to ask them to invite their friends. He says, and then you preach the gospel. He says, because they come from, uh, like he said, our religious country that he says that they don't necessarily know Jesus as their savior. They may know the Bible and they may have a background in that, but he says, they don't know the gospel for sure. He says, so I want you to come and preach the gospel. And I said, Pastor Gerard, I'd be more than pleased to preach the gospel. And so last Sunday, uh, unfortunately with the snow and everything, they didn't necessarily have that opportunity to do that. But I went to that church and I preached the gospel and we had a, a wonderful time of sharing. And then fortunately for me, there was a Filipino potluck right after the service, which was great. The only thing I knew for sure what I was eating was rice, but after that, I don't know. I had lots of good food, but don't ask me what I ate other than rice. And so we shared together, and uh, I preached the gospel, and um, had a great time of sharing with these people, who again, as I said, religious, but not understanding the, the, the clarity of the gospel is a relationship with Jesus Christ, which again, in our study in Galatians, Paul was wanting them to understand 
that the gospel is about that very thing. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to that uh, passage because we're going to review once again this uh, truth about the gospel and Paul writing to this group of churches, which Galatians is a a book to a a series of churches, and wanting them to um, be clear what the gospel is about. And um, let me just read through the the passage that we have uh, here in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 to 24. And and thankfully, uh, Phil gave me the passage a number of uh, weeks ago, and I've had many miles under my belt of being in a car alone and, and have had a chance to ponder through this and look through this, and, and so I've broken it down into what I referred to as three boxes you're going to see in a moment after we read through this, and um, uh, it's become very personal for me as I've been able to work through this and ponder through this, uh, this passage, and, and Paul's, well, it's his credentials, what many scholars talk about, the outline's going to be, um, but we're going to key in on a certain section in the, in the three boxes, but let's just read through it first of all, and then we'll work through it. And so starting in verse 11, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. He wants to be very clear about that. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And Paul was always, really, you read a lot of his letters, he was always wanting to point people back to Jesus Christ. So important. Verse 13. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. In verse 24, and they praised God because of me. As I said, what I want to do is I want to break this down into what I refer to as three different boxes. And so the outline is going to be shaped in that way. So box number one is this. Paul preached a Christ-focused gospel. And I want us to be clear about that. A Christ-focused gospel. That's found in verses 11 and 12. And so let's just start there and look at that. So it's a Christ-focused gospel. Verse 11 says this. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, I think, and I believe, that it's interesting how after 2,000 years, things haven't really changed. So Paul, as he writes to these group of churches uh, in Galatians, is concerned that they um, aren't focused and, and they're missing the point and he wants to draw them back to the truth that the gospel is about Jesus Christ. And uh, the other messages that we've gone through already in this part of Galatians are focused on the same thing. And so if we go back up to verse 6, 
Paul writes this, and he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which he says is really no gospel at all. That was written 2,000 years ago, more or less. Paul was concerned that this early church was chasing after something that wasn't really the gospel, and he had started these churches himself, him and Barnabas. And Paul's like, you guys, what are you doing? I preached the gospel to you, and now you're wandering off chasing something else that isn't really the gospel. And I'm here standing before you this morning to tell you that 2,000 years later, that same danger is as real today as it was back then. I had a conference just a few months ago in the province of Alberta, and our keynote speaker was a guy named Dan Cochran, who's the lead pastor of a church called Crossroads Church in Red Deer, and they run around two to 3,000 people on a weekend at his church, a very, very large church. And one of the things that um, he was telling us that uh, he struggles with in his church is getting people to um, understand the priority of Jesus Christ in their lives and in their families. And making sure that their people are going to uh, regular Bible studies and, and having their families be involved in regular Bible studies. And, and he said as the lead pastor, he wants them to understand how important it is for their people to have their, their children and their families put Jesus Christ first. And he said as a shepherd, because that's what he says he is, shepherd of the flock, he says if we don't put Jesus Christ first, the danger is, then what will happen is that other gods will come in to replace Jesus as their God. And he said, what happens is that I talk to people who say, well, I I want my my son or my daughter to be the, the best swimmer that they can be, or to be the best ballet dancer that they can be, or to be the best hockey player that they can be, or to be the best baseball player that they can be. And he says, and I've got no problems with them being involved in all these different um, activities. But he said, I want to make sure that, first and foremost, they have Jesus Christ as the priority of their lives. And then these other activities come underneath that as Jesus being the number one priority of their lives. And when Jesus gets put as the secondary or third or fourth priority in their lives, then the danger is, is that, as Paul said, they quickly desert the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to different gospels or different things if we don't have Jesus as the number one priority. And I listened to Dan that weekend as he spoke to us talk about his heart for his people, that if we don't put Jesus as the number one priority, then other priorities come in, and all of a sudden Jesus gets shifted off of the page as the number one priority in our lives, and then we can run into difficulties and heartbreaks and challenges, and all of a sudden he's not number one anymore. 
And the dangers are real. False teachers are real. False gospels are still out there 2,000 years later. Why? Well, because our enemy is still alive and well, and he's still trying to lead people astray if we don't have Jesus as the number one priority. Paul is crystal clear about the gospel in these verses as he instructs the Galatians. So here we are 2,000 years later, and we're still having Bible studies, and we're still having pastors battling these realities that we need to make sure that our people understand the need to be involved in good understandings of what the Bible has to say. And so that's why we still have Bible studies. And if you open up your bulletin, you see Willow Park is still very clearly giving people an opportunity to be involved in deeper studies so that we get to know the Word of God better, so we get to know who Jesus is better, so we understand the Bible better, so we don't get led astray by false teachers. And that's what I love about our church. We want our people to grow so we don't get led astray. And so that's why our pastors and our leaders have all these opportunities for people to go into deeper ways of understanding the truth of the Word of God. Why? Because the enemy is real. And online, there's all kinds of opportunities. If we're sitting there looking at all the different opportunities there are online, the enemy out there will be trying in every which way possible to lead us astray. Paul taught it 2,000 years ago. And he wanted to write this book to these group of churches to say, how could you get led astray already? He had just planted these churches a short time ago, and it didn't take very long for them to get led astray. And it doesn't take long for us to get led astray if We aren't in this book if we don't make Jesus the priority of our lives. And I know for many of us as parents and grandparents, there's stories all over the place of how our children and our grandchildren are no longer following Jesus because somewhere along the line, he got shifted off as the priority of the number one person in our lives. And Paul writes about it to the churches in Galatia. Let me ask you this. Are you involved in a healthy Bible study where you're learning and growing to be more like Jesus right now? Are you involved in a healthy Bible study where you're growing and learning to be more like Jesus right now? It's key to our spiritual experience. It's a model then that we provide for those around us, our friends, and our children, and our grandchildren. It's a healthy, healthy thing for us. Paul knew it. Pastors today know it. And so that's why we provide it for us. And so I just encourage you to be involved in that. And that's why we have all those opportunities here at Willow Park Church. And I'm not even on staff at Willow. I just wanted you to know that as a, as a church leader across the board, it's a battle that's going on in our churches across the country because the enemy is real and he's trying to lead people astray. And so I just encourage you to get involved in the opportunities that are provided here at our church. I just want to encourage you. What's next? Well, box number two. Paul discovered his calling in verses 13 through to 17. He gives his testimony in, in the first couple of verses, in verses 13 and 14. He says, you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. It's just, like a, um, it's just his testimony in a nutshell. Um, he says, you've heard my previous way of life, how I intensely persecuted the church of God and I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of the Jews of my own age, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. And then there's this wonderful phrase in verse 15. I love it. 
Just a very short phrase. Paul's giving us his testimony. And this is his, the changeover. He talks about what he used to be like as a Pharisee. He persecuted the church because he believed. He was just a zealot. He was zealous for the traditions of his fathers. This is what he thought was right. And then comes this phrase in verse 15. He says, but when God. What a wonderful phrase. But when God. Because there's a change happening now. But when God. What happened? Well, there's these three different aspects of what took place in verses 15 and 16. And Paul says this. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, or in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Let's just work through that. The three different aspects. First of all, Paul says he was set apart from birth. Now, we can get all bent out of shape here in this, discussing this because there's a theological phrase or word here that, that if you're a deep theological thinker, excuse me, but we're not going to go real deep with this one word. It's called predestination. And um, you may want to argue with me about that, and I'm not going to argue with you about it. It's predestination. That's the word. Paul uses it in a number of different uh, uh, books that he writes. Predestination. You may not want to believe it. You may not want to accept it. That's fine. I do believe it. And so don't argue with me about it. I'm not going to argue with you about it. Predestination. It's, it's in the Bible. It's there. And so um, do we have free will? Yes, we have free will. Theologians will sort of work that all through for you. If you wanted to study about it, that's great. Go for it afterwards. I'm not going to go deep into it in this topic here this morning. Predestination. Paul says that um, God set him apart from birth. It says it right there in the Bible. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, but, but let me just see if I can't bring this down a little bit into my own personal understanding. It's in Romans in chapter 8, verses 29 and 30. It's also over in Ephesians and other parts of the Bible as well. But I just want to bring it a little closer to home. My own experience. I'm the son of Doug and Betty Wilson. I'm the third of four children. I have two older brothers and a younger sister. Let's just think about that for a moment. So Doug and Betty had two sons, Chris and Gary. What do you think they were looking for when I came out? They were hoping for something else, I can tell you that. The fourth child was Heather. They were pleased as punch when she came out. But when I came out, I'm sure they were hoping for someone else other than me. And this was long before ultrasounds or anything else, and and husbands weren't even allowed to go into the birthing room at that point in time. And so uh, my dad was out in the waiting room, and and the nurse came toddling out to to tell my dad that uh, you've got a healthy baby boy. And that that wasn't the words that he was looking for. Because mom and dad were hoping for a girl at that point in time. They already had two sons. They were hoping for a daughter. And there was a point in my life when the spiritual enemy that we have tried to really drill that home in my life, that I was a disappointment, that I was a mistake, 
that I wasn't at all what my parents were looking for. And my mom and dad never ever conveyed that to me, so, so please understand that they never ever told me that I was a mistake or I was a disappointment. My spiritual enemy tried to tell me that. So turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 139, because finally when the truth of, of God's word helped me to understand that, that I wasn't a disappointment, because there was a time when I thought that I was a disappointment. You see, Paul says that he was set apart and I want to wrestle through this with you to understand where I'm coming from, having two older brothers and, and then thinking through that there's time in my life that I thought I was a mistake. But God pointed me to his word. Because you see, I serve a sovereign God. And David pointed this out to me. In Psalm 139, David was awed by God, and so he wrote this out. And he says in Psalm 139, verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. And before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid, out your, you've laid your hand upon me, and such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for, my, for me to attain. Where can I go from, my, from your spirit, and where can I hide, flee from your presence? And he goes on to talk about that. But then we get down to verse 13. And David writes this. And he says, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And I believe there's some people here this morning who need to hear this for whatever reason. You created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And it goes back and connects, what I believe, with what Paul is saying in Galatians, that he was set apart by God in his mother's womb. And so when God pointed that out to me, that I was knit together in my mother's womb, then you see, I am not a mistake because God didn't go oops when he created the third son of Doug and Betty Wilson. And so I wasn't a disappointment to my almighty heavenly father when I came out of my mother's womb. He didn't look at me and say, oh, I've made a mistake. I gave them a third son. I was never a disappointment to my heavenly father. And so if you're sitting here this morning thinking somehow that you were ever a mistake or a disappointment, let me assure you that almighty God doesn't make mistakes. And so you are not a divine mistake in any way, shape, or fashion. You are knit together in your mother's womb, and he does not make mistakes. And all the days ordained for me are written in his book, and he knew that this day was going to happen, and that these words were going to be shared this morning. And I just believe that some of us somewhere in this building needed to be affirmed again this morning by the truth of God's word. 
that you are loved by the Almighty. And you are not a mistake. You are not an oops. You are not a disappointment that he has worked for you to do. When I surrendered to him, or as Paul says, when God was pleased to reveal his son to me, then God also gave me this gift. He gave me this gift to do what I'm doing right now. And I'm amazed. See, I I didn't choose this. I I didn't go out and and earn this. It was God's gift. And, And when those things came together, that when God in his grace, as Paul says... Here, when he was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, when God in his grace gave me this gift to do what I'm doing, it revolutionized my entire life. It changed the whole direction of what I was going to be doing with my life because I was going in one direction and all of a sudden it changed everything because God opened my eyes to see what he has created me to do. So I was not a mistake. I was a divine plan by God and I changed the whole direction of what I was going to do because I said, okay, God, whatever you want me to do, do, I am yours. And Paul says the same thing here in what he's saying in Galatians. It's absolutely amazing how when we have our eyes open and we say, okay, God, whatever you want, I'm yours. Do you have... It, it, it just... I can't explain to you how much it changed my life when my eyes were opened by the very grace of God to see his son, to understand what he did for me on the cross, to surrender to that, and then say, okay, God, whatever you want, I'm yours. So the three distinct aspects of what Paul's calling are that he was set apart from birth, that it was an act of God's grace. Paul knows that he didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. It was simply God's grace, and Paul never ever forgot that truth. Then thirdly, Paul says, God told him he would preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Verse 16, at what cost? Well, in Acts chapter 14, we see the cost. Acts chapter 14, it just about cost him his life. It says that Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went... as usual, into the Jewish synagogue, and they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. And so then it causes a big stir-up, and uh, people are angry, and so Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord. They confirmed the message of His grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. And the people were divided. Some sided with the Jews, and others with the apostles. And there's a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. And so that does happen. We turn the Go over to verse um, 17. It says, Yet he has not uh, shown them his kindness by giving them rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. And even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowds from sacrificing to them. And Paul and Barnabas don't want that. And so it says, verse 19, Then some of the Jews from Antioch and Iconium won the crowd over, and they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. That was the cost. As Paul's preaching there in the area of Galatia, it just will cost him his life. 
So when we are called to do what God calls us to do, we don't know what the cost is going to be. It just will cost Paul his life. But he's okay with that because he knows that God's called him to do it. It's amazing. It's amazing. So the three aspects. He was set apart from birth. He knows it's an act of God's grace. And he would preach to the Gentiles. And there's a cost. Once Paul knew what God had called him to do, there was no, going to be no stopping him, though. So I ask you, have you discovered what it is that God has called you to do? And you say, well, I'm not the Apostle Paul. No, you're not. I discovered what God's called me to do. And you say, well, I'm not like you. I, I'm not called to go up front and preach. No, you're probably not called to go up front and preach. But turn with me in your Bibles over to the book of Ephesians. Just in case you're looking for an out saying, well, I'm not really called to do any of those fancy things. Well, you may not be called to do anything fancy that you want to call it that way. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, I can assure you that you're not called to come to church and sit. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this. Well, let's start at verse 1. As for you who are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you were used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us who also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature objects at wrath. Verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God, who raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, listen to this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. The gospel again, right? That's what Paul wrote in Galatians as well. So we see the gospel in Ephesians. We see the gospel in Galatians. Now listen to this. Verse 10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You hear that? We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, God saved us not to sit in church. God saved us to do good works which he actually prepared in advance for us to do. So think about that. Every single day that I'm alive on this earth, God has things for me to do that he has prepared in advance for me to do to serve him. I find that pretty darn exciting, actually. That every day of my life, I don't know what God's got ready for me. But he's got something ready because he's a divine God. There's 7.7 billion people on the face of this earth. And he knows me by name. He created me. He knit me together in my mother's womb. Think about that. I'm not a mistake. We already went through that. And every single day of my life, he knows. David said, all the, steps, all the days ordained for me are written in his book. 
So every day, God's got to work. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Every day is ordained. He's got something going on for me. He's got plans for me. He's got works for me to do, Paul said. And so I don't get to, by my relationship with him, I don't get to come and sit just because I'm saved. I don't get to be saved to sit. I get to be saved to serve. Because he's such a great God. He gives me that opportunity to go and serve him every single day in some way, shape, or fashion. Your job then, as we leave this service today, is figure out what it is I'm saved to serve him in whatever way he calls me to do. So you go and ask him, God, how do you want me to serve you today? So the lessons. The the third box is simply, um, Paul was thoroughly checked out, verses 18 through to 24, the last part of it is, Paul spent the first three years of his Christian life in study mood. Scholars don't really know where he went. There was three years that are just, um, they're not sure where he went, what he did, but they feel it just was a time of him studying in his new faith. Not sure where that all went, what he did, but he was studying, they believe, to understand this new faith that he was in. So the three boxes are, are that I, the lessons I took out of the three boxes are this. Number one, keep your mind sharp. Be sure it's always his gospel that you're growing in. Keep your mind sharp. Box number two, submit your will to his will always. Again, we're not saved to sit, we're saved to serve. And number three, have your heart aligned with God's heart because look at what verse 24 says. After the Christians found out about Paul, it said that they rejoiced and they praised God because of him. I love the testimony of the report that we got from the camp about the kids that got saved. We should rejoice when we hear those reports because the angels in heaven are rejoicing. We should rejoice as well. Have our heart aligned with God's heart and we will do a lot more rejoicing when we're aligned with God's heart. So the three lessons, keep your mind sharp. Be sure it's always his gospel. Number two, submit your will to his always. And number three, have your heart aligned with God's heart. We'll do a lot more rejoicing. The conclusion for this morning is, is this, uh, the title for the message is... Um, um, give the grave only bones. I, I stole the title off of this uh, guy that I follow on, on um, Instagram. John Acuff is his name. And he wrote this thing called um, Give the Grave Only Bones. And I love it because I think it encapsulates something that I think Paul would love if he was alive today. And, and uh, John wrote this and he said, If at the end of my life the only thing I've accomplished is a comfortable life, then my days have been wasted. If at the end of my life the only thing I've fought for is my own name, then my days have been wasted. If at the end of my life, the only thing I've stood for is my own reputation, then my days have been wasted. May we not go to the grave quietly. May we not make refuse of the gifts that we've been given. Arrive empty to the grave, having given all that you were given, stewarded all that you were tasked with. Give the grave only bones. I love that attitude. Because of the great God that I have and the gifts that he's given, I want to spend every ounce of my activity, every ounce of of what I'm doing with my life for his glory, for his honor, so that when I go to the grave, it only gets bones because all of the activity that I've done is I've given it all to my God because of what he's done for me. And that is then celebrated through the communion that we're going to enter into right now as a reminder of what my God has done for me. I want to give the grave only bones and the glory all to my God and how I live my life. What about you? How we're going to do communion here at Willow is that um, 
you're going to come to the front. The balcony will be served up there. Um, we're going to come to the front, and you're going to pick up the elements, and uh, then take them back to your seat. And then what we'll do is we'll partake of it all together, and I'll lead us in the partaking of that all together. But um, uh, the piano will play quietly, I think, as we are um, uh, coming forward to take the elements. And so um, you can come up into your seat. There's uh, three different stations here at the front. And so you can come forward, uh, pick up the elements, take them back to your seat, wait after uh, you've take, gotten them, and then I will lead us in a time together where we will uh, partake of the elements all together. And so um, let's just um, uh, be quiet together, and then you can come as you feel led to pick up the elements, take them back to your seat, and then I'll lead us in the uh, sharing of the elements together. Uh, let me just pray for us um, uh, for a moment, and then I'll uh, walk us through that, uh, that time together. Father, I thank you for this passage of Scripture that we went through this morning. Thank you for the truth of Paul's life that he gave absolutely everything he had to give to you. Lord, he was an amazing man. He loved you so much. I love the phrase, but when God. But when God changed Paul's life, opened his eyes to the truth of the gospel, Paul gave every ounce of his being to you, Lord. He chased after you with everything he had. He loved you so much. Lord, we thank you. We just thank you. Lord, we appreciate the model that he gave us. And as we move into this time of communion now, Lord, we ask that um, we would truly remember the love that you have for us, the fact that none of us are mistakes, that Jesus died on the cross for each and every one of us because he loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. The gospel in a nutshell. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.